All right, this is the audience participation part. Are you ready? All right. We're going to need some enthusiasm today, please. This is the audience participation part. All right, so turn to someone next to you and say, how did you sleep last night? Turn to someone next to you. How did you sleep last night? And if you don't have someone next to you, that's your sign. You should bring a visitor next week. Now, as refreshing as a good slumber is, I do hope that you have all the sleep out of your system for the rest of the morning. Otherwise, I'm going to disturb your nap. There are a few things that are sweeter than a good night's sleep, and perhaps you know that. According to the Pilgrim Psalm 127, a good night's sleep is a gift from God. It's a gift that he gives to those that he loves. C.H. Spurgeon, the famous Baptist minister from London, has a helpful message on this text where he talks about the kind of sleep the godless have. He says the godless have the sleep of sloth. The godless have the sleep of indifference. The godless have the sleep of lust. But sweet sleep is a gift that he gives to those he loves. You can Google it. Look it up. This sermon is called The Peculiar... Don't do it right now, like later. This sermon is called The Peculiar Sleep of the Beloved by Charles Spurgeon. And in the message, he names the kind of sleep that he gives to those he loves. He gives miraculous sleep to some in the scriptures. He puts them to sleep. He gives the sleep of a quiet conscience to those that he loves. He gives the sleep of contentment to those that he loves. He gives quietness of soul, sleep as the quietness of soul as to the future, sometimes the sleep of security. And then, and then he closes his message with the sleep he calls it the sleep of happy dismission. In other words, the sleep that we have when we fall into a peaceful death. He says this is the peculiar sleep he gives to the beloved. Do you ever have trouble sleeping because you had disturbing dreams or night terrors? Raise your hand if you're willing to continue in audience participation. Come and tell us about it. No, I'm just kidding. Of course, we all have had that. I think it's ironic I never sleep for years. I have not slept all the way through the night. I'm preaching on this today, and last night I slept through the entire night. So there is a God in heaven, and he especially loves me. You might want to listen to everything I say um, out of the Bible. Uh, okay, so maybe you've had the feeling, though, sometimes you think, I think my, my dreams belie my fears. You had the feeling, or... Or, or my temptations. I certainly have had these. Every once in a while, you might have a dream that you feel like that. It seems like there's a message in that. And in the Bible, there were messages in dreams frequently. I, I would be in theology what you would call a soft cessationist, which I'm not going to explain in detail today. But, but to, to suffice to say this, I do believe that God can speak to us in many different ways in many different times. But since the, the canon of Scripture is complete, since we have a, a whole Bible, he expects for us to understand him by understanding what the Bible says, and no extra-biblical revelation rises to the level of Scripture. 
But you should probably pay attention to the thoughts that you have and even the, the dreams that you have. In this text that you heard John read, the king's sleep has been disturbed. My, one of my favorite Christian musicians is a guy whose name is Fernando Ortega. And he has a problem with insomnia and anxiety and depression. And I'm not glad about that. But he has written some of his best songs when he couldn't sleep at night. So there's that. As a matter of fact, let me just read one of them to you. And it's not as good to read it, so you got to go listen to it. After you Google the peculiar sleep of the beloved, then you want to listen to Sleepless Nights by Fernando Ortega. Another sleepless night, I'm turning in my bed long before the red sun rises. And in these early hours, I'm falling again into the river of my worries. When the river, the river of his anxiety, the river of his worries, when the river runs away, I find shelter in your name. Jesus, the only light on the shore, the only hope in the storm. Jesus, let me fly to your side. There I would abide, I would hide. Hear my anxious prayer, the beating of my heart, the pulse and measure of my unbelief. Speak your words to me before I come apart. Help me believe in what I cannot see. Before the river, the river of his worries and anxiety, before the river runs away, I will call upon your name, Jesus the only light on the shore, the only hope in the storm. Jesus, let me fly to your side. There I would hide. Jesus, in a way, I'm kind of glad that Fernando Ortega can't go to sleep at night sometimes because he gets up and he writes songs that have been a blessing to me. Now, here we have these four young men in the story, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, four faithful Hebrew boys far away from home, and they're far away from their loved ones, and they're young and they're vulnerable, and they're oppressed and they're powerless, and they're subject to the whims of an angry, dangerous, unsympathetic king, and they're much in need of wisdom. And did I mention they have angry, irrational, godless people in their lives? Does this sound familiar to any of you? Here they are in a culture of death, in an unsympathetic place, where most of the people don't believe in their God, and they are without power, and they are young, and they're much in need of wisdom. What do you do when you're in circumstances like that? Jackie and Hardy Williams, who live next door in the old parsonage, were awakened in the night the other night because somebody ran into their garage and destroyed their garage and damaged their cars and they have much, much damage in their, in their house. You're here today, you can pray for them. It, now they have to worry about, and they're, if you look at their place, they're kind of perfectionist types. They like their things nice and neat, but everything's all messed up right now. I said, I have a message for you today about what to do when somebody runs into your garage in the middle of the night. And I have a message for you today when you feel weak or powerless or sad or you're tempted to stay awake in the night or you're young and you have your future before you and you wonder what's going to happen. This is a powerful truth. It's a very simple truth, but it's a very, very powerful truth. You will have to work hard not to understand what I'm going to say today. 
because of the simplicity of it. It's embedded in the story that I say has five movements and one timeless lesson. So the first movement is this, the king's sleep is troubled. And you've seen that in verses one through four. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, or maybe he has a series of dreams, and his sleep is troubled, and maybe he remembers these dreams, or maybe he doesn't even remember himself, he just remembers that he's troubled. And then in verse two, he summons I'm going to call them his dream team, the magicians, the enchanters, smartest people that he knows, people that have a little weird connection with the, uh, with the other world, and he's, they're his best people, and he summons them in verse 2, and he tells them his trouble in verse 3, and they answer, well, okay, tell us the dream and we'll interpret it for you, which would be the way you would normally think this would work. Now, what happens in the text is interesting because the language switches right here to Aramaic. And I will explain to you in a, in a message a little bit later about the significance of that. There's a powerful significance in that. But the language changes right there in this, in this dialogue. So you have a king with troubled sleep, and he's called for his dream team. And what he does is he passes his trouble on to the, the dream team in verses 5 through 13. And, he, and he's, he's gentle about it. He threatens to tear them limb for limb and destroy their houses if they don't tell him not the interpretation of the dream, but like, tell me what my dream was. And they'd be like, that's not fair. That would be not what you would expect if you were the dream interpreter guys or girls. You would say, tell me the dream, and we'll cook up something convincing about what it means. Like, you need to give us all a raise is what it means, you know, something like that. But he tricks them either because he wants to make sure they know or because he doesn't know. And he says, I want the interpretation, but first I want you to tell me what I dreamed. Now they're being taken out of their depth. Verse 6, he promises enticing rewards and honors for anybody who can do this. In verse 7, they repeat their request to know the dream. And verses 8 and 9, he says, you're stalling. He says, I'm, I'm going to tear you limb for limb, and I'm going to destroy your homes if you don't tell me what my dream was. This is real, pretty serious. This is, an, this is a surly man with a bad attitude and a lot of power. The answer, nobody in the world could do that. They intuitively say the only person that could ever do that would be like a god. In verses 12 and 13, he gets really mad. And he decides to send out a decree to kill them all, all the wise men. This then would include all those in, that, in, in his court, which included Daniel and his friends. And that's the, so that's the king's sleep is troubled in the first movement. The second movement, he passes the trouble on to his dream team in a serious way. In the third movement, you have Daniel and his friends are confronted in verse 14, notice what it says. Daniel then replied. He sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Verse 13. In verse 14, Daniel replies with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill all the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might know the interpretation of the dream. It is interesting to me that Daniel asked for the same thing that the others, but he must have asked it with, he must have been exuding some confidence. 
because Ariok goes to bat for him, if you will. Daniel meets Ariok, captain of the king's guard, asking why it's urgent. Daniel asks for a meeting with the king. And then in verses 17 and 18, Daniel does something you don't want to miss because the whole story turns on this. And if somebody runs into your garage in the middle of the night, you might want to remember this. And if your wife says, I don't think I even want to stay with you anymore, you want to remember this. And if somebody hurts you in a way you thought nobody was ever going to hurt you or one of your children gets into a problem that you never thought you would hear or life just doesn't turn out at all like you thought it should, you might want to remember what happens here. Because it's so simple, even a child and children in Sunday schools the world over have heard this story and learned this lesson. What do you do when you can't sleep at night because you got trouble? What do you do when ugly, irrational, angry, powerful people threaten you? What do you do when there's a mystery that you can't untangle, a problem that you can't solve? You, you do what Daniel did. You get some godly friends and you do what? You pray. You pray. You call a prayer meeting. Verse 17, this might be the sweet spot, although it gets even sweeter toward the end of the section. Verse 17, Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. By the way, they had a dog in this race. <laughs> they were going to die too. Um, and he told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men from Babylon. And then the mystery was revealed. And Daniel had a vision in the night. And then Daniel, the great understatement, he blessed the God of heaven. Imagine that. This is quite a story. This is quite an event that we tell a story about. You know, this isn't make-believe. This isn't a this isn't science fiction. This isn't a, a myth. This is a space and time history that's being recorded here. And we know this, and we're going to, I won't describe it this week, because next week when we get into what the actual dream was, we see that it, is a, that it literally is a concrete reality that God is going to give wisdom to Daniel about who, who the kingdoms of the world that affect Israel are going to be out through the future. This it, it, is not make-believe. It's not a myth. It's not a moral story, although it's a moral story. It's not a, that's the heart of it. It's true truth. It's an event that happened. And so God gives Daniel a vision, and then Daniel bursts into praise. And this is the gorgeous part of this. So the mysteries revealed, verse 19, to Daniel in a vision in the night. And Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Listen to what Daniel said. And this is a model for you to pray. When you take your problem to the Lord and when he answers it, this is how you should respond. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He, he removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in darkness and the light dwells with him. He's bragging on God. To you, O God of my fathers, verse 23, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what we ask of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. And then Daniel tells Arioch, a couple of things before we go, it would be a great study just to study how 
Daniel praise God. There are a couple elements in it. He praises God for who he is. This is who you are. And he thanks him for what he's done. And that's a beautiful pattern. Our souls need this. When you walk out into a spring morning and a doe is standing in your yard, don't hurry off to work. Praise God for who he is and thank him for what he's done. When you notice that amazing array of colors of birds and bird songs, when you look at the color of your granddaughter's eyes, when you feel the warmth of your wife's hand in yours, don't just hurry on, but stop right there and realize there, that's because of who God is and because of what God has done. It was sweet to walk into church today. There was a special feeling I had in the church today, just seeing people in a place that's devoted to Jesus and to the, the truth of the Bible. And, you know, the, the kind of understated promise here is we promise to love each other and be nice to each other, for pray, pray for each other and not to take advantage of each other. That's, that's the idea here. You, you don't know that a lot of other places that you go. You wonder, why are these people here? What do they want from me? What do they expect of me? But among God's people, we're here to, to love one another. We're here to help one another, you know, on to God. One shouldn't rush off into life and ignore something like that. I thought it was sweet to think this morning about two or three of our young people that couldn't be here today because they're already serving the Lord at camp. Doesn't that just warm your heart? Doesn't that just thrill you to think about that? This bright young man here giving testimony that he not only teaches in a really fine institution, Christian institution, but in the summer he goes to the mission field. How powerful, how sweet is it to think about that? And the, I felt like the young people lined up here this morning, they do seem like they have such a bright future. And I know we all get a little assist, right? You especially, Bethel people, you get an We shouldn't go thundering off through life without stopping when you see young people like that and saying, God, you're good and thank you for what you've done and we need you real bad, although you should probably use proper grammar when you pray. Somebody said prayer isn't really supposed to be complex. I think it was Charles Swindoll once, he said, prayer is not supposed to be an anxiety-producing thing. It's supposed to be an anxiety-relieving thing. And if you're all anxious because you didn't pray right or didn't pray enough or didn't pray flowery enough or you're not happy with your prayers, you probably need to think that through a little bit. Prayer, the idea of prayer is to relieve your worries and to relieve your anxiety. Here's a simple way of looking at it. Pray like a child. Talk to God like a child. Like a child will say, you teach a child, say, tell mama thank you for the macaroni and cheese. Thank you, mom. And that's a prayer. A thank you prayer is a good prayer. Or you say, tell your daddy, please take the training wheels off your bike. Please, daddy. A please prayer, it's a good prayer. Or, or you could say, help me. Help me, Mom. Help me, Dad. A, a help me prayer or help my friend prayer is a good prayer. A please prayer, a thank you prayer, a help me prayer. How about this one? An I'm sorry prayer. How many times you were taught, even as a child, tell them you're sorry. Admit what you did wasn't right. Folks, prayer can be that simple. And God will supply the, God will allow you to get in trouble. And then you turn to him in prayer. I was on the Kokosing Gap Trail once, a bike trail, with my son Kyle, my, our oldest. 
I didn't have a nice bike. I borrowed Lois's old ratty garage sale bike. It was not a good bike. It was the cheapest bike a person could buy. It's an old garage sale bike. I asked Lois, you mind if I borrow it? She said, I don't care, you know. So I, we decided to go on a bike ride. We threw these bikes in the trunk, and I'm riding this brown garage sale rusty girl's bike. And I weigh, you know, a lot of weight. And, um, and my son has got his little mountain bike that he bought. And he's young and strong, he's 14, 15. His little mountain bike that he bought, it was cheap. It was a cheap kind of Kmart bike, too, but it was nicer than mine. We went down the Kokosing Gap Trail in the spring of the year. We went over a trestle, over a river, and down through a valley, and past some farms, and through a couple of villages. We were having a great bike ride until my chain broke. I don't know why it broke. Um, it might have been because I weighed lots, um, and it was really really old, but I had an idea. I said to Kyle, I said, hold on. Did I mention I weighed a lot? That means there's a long way around my waist, and my belt was really long. I took my belt off. I said, hold the end of my belt and tow me back. <laughs> Lois just gave me that look. Don't tell that story. It's too late, honey. <laughs> so no kidding. He took a hold of the belt, and he towed me all the way back. It was good, clean fun. And we got back, we we're putting the bikes away, and he goes, Dad, why didn't you ride the bike and tow me? I go, because you're dumber than I am, that's why. <laughs> Sometimes in life you're going to find yourself, you know, out of a place where you're going to need some help. And when you need help, as a believing Christian, it doesn't have to be complex. It can be really simple. Say, please, God, help me, God. I'm sorry, God. Thank you, God. Daniel and his friends, they cried out to God. God answered the prayer. The Holy Spirit wanted you to read that today. How wonderful is that? It's easy for us to just move on. Well, there's another movement. Daniel goes to Arioch the king. Daniel proposes that no one dies. This is, this is honorable. He doesn't say, you guys, you're loser guys, couldn't. Answers want you kill them and let us live. He doesn't say, like, you don't need to kill anybody here. I like that. Arioch brings Daniel before the king. The king says, is it true that you have an answer? Verse 26. In verse 27, Daniel says, yeah, your dream team couldn't do this, could they? He's bold enough. He's got this holy hootspah, doesn't he? To say to the king, can I remind you that your dream team, the best of your best, couldn't, couldn't interpret this? But then in look, look at verse 28. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar. And then this is a shocking phrase. What will be in the latter days? And that's freighted. That's next week that we talk about that. You're dreaming the visions of your head. When you lay in your bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in your bed came thoughts of what would come after this. He who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. If you think about it, if you're a king and you're wondering about how long will I be in power and who are my enemies that I should be concerned about, this might keep you awake at night. Daniel says, God revealed to me the answers to those questions that are the most important questions in your life. And it's kind of cute because Arioch wants credit. He says um, in verse, uh, verse 29, to you, O king, as you lay in your bed, came thoughts of what would 
be after this, and he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has not been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king, that you may know the thoughts of your mind. Arioch brings Daniel, and he says, look what I found. But Daniel <laughs> kind of found Arioch, right? And Daniel, though, he says, it wasn't me, it was God. God implied, you don't know yet, chapter 4 Nebuchadnezzar is going to meet God, but I'm getting ahead of myself. That's the fifth and final movement. What's the lesson? What's the simple lesson for us? You, you're sharp. You got it already. You didn't, you didn't miss the point, did you? I believe God arranged for us to have a copy of these events because he knew there would be times in our life when we were sad or when we were in bondage or when we were weak or when we were poor or when we were oppressed or when we're young or too old or far from home when we need an answer, when we're troubled, when, when dangerous, ungodly authorities are oppressing us, when we have to deal with angry or irrational people, when we're in danger, when we're worried about if our money's going to last, when we need wisdom or any other need or any other trouble, what should we do? Call a prayer meeting with some godly friends. This is what we do. What do the Bethel people do when they're in trouble? They have a prayer meeting. They get a prayer partner. They pray with somebody. They, they take their wife's hand and they talk to God about it. They take a walk and they pray. They especially get with other people and, and they pray. And if God chooses, he can reveal everything we need to know about the future. They don't criticize or condemn or complain. They pray. They don't covet. They pray. They don't get angry. They, you got it. You got it. He's more powerful and true and wise than any other. He's the one true God of heaven when you can't sleep at night. Look at the one who reveals mysteries. He answers prayer, and then you give him praise. Fernando Ortega, my singer friend, the guy, um, he wrote a beautiful song for people who have night terrors. You've heard it. Can I read it to you? I love it. It's one of my favorite songs ever. You've heard it. Jesus, king of angels, heaven's light, shine your face upon this house tonight. Let no evil come into my dreams. Light of heaven, keep me in your peace. Remind me how you made dark spirits flee and spoke your power to the raging sea and spoke your mercy to a sinful man. Remind me, Jesus, this is what I am. The universe is vast beyond the stars, but you are mindful when a sparrow falls, mindful of the anxious thoughts that find me and surround me and bind me. With all my heart, I love you, sovereign Lord. Tomorrow, let me love you even more and rise to speak the goodness of your name until I close my eyes and sleep again. The universe is vast beyond the stars, but you are mindful when a sparrow falls, mindful of the anxious thoughts that find me, surround me, and bind me. Jesus, King of angels, heaven's light, hold my hand. And keep me through this night. What do you do when you're overwhelmed with trouble? Well, you can pray just you and God alone. Or really smart people get with other people who are godly. Maybe just one. Maybe two. And they pray. This is the part of my sermon where I use.